Hi there. I'm Rick Morris. I'm a pro-environment and conservation documentary filmmaker. I'm from New York, and you're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Joy Johnson emailed us asking, can I get coronavirus from a package being delivered from China? That's a great question. Talk about these masks. Do we get them or don't we? Some people are wondering if you can protect yourself from the virus by gargling with bleach. What? Or taking steroids. Can you get the coronavirus by eating Chinese food? No! No, you can't! Of course you can't get the coronavirus from eating Chinese food. In fact, if you're eating at a Panda Express, you can't even get Chinese food by eating (laughs) Chinese food. Although, I will say this. You are unlikely to get the coronavirus if you regularly gargle bleach, because you know what they say, being dead is already the best medicine. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right indeed. Oh. Right ho. Okay, and welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm getting a little crackling here. Let's just back that off. Crackle, 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 crackle. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, we had a, a live notification. The video has ended. And uh, are I, we back? I think so. Okay. I'm in the process of sharing it, so talk. Okay. I'll just keep talking here. <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, and um, Welcome, welcome, welcome. No, now see, I, I, but I already played uh, I know. John Oliver, so I, I'm not going to steal his bit as well. And, okay. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I think that's something we need to talk about on the show uh, at some point very soon, which is uh, gardening in the age of coronavirus. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but our experts would tell us that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some ideas about what that means. Um, I think it means basically get out there and grow your own food, and that's kind of what we're talking about this morning uh, with our guest Nicole Virgil, who has been on the show a couple of times, we've been following this saga since 2017. So here we are in 2020. So three years for us. She's de- been dealing with it for two years longer mm-hmm. than that. So she's going on five years, and it's about her or the right to garden. Do you have a right to garden? In your backyard. In your backyard. I mean, yeah, not not out in public, not out in the park, but in your backyard. Now, if we're talking as we have on in the past about things like uh, 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 THC and uh, and and uh, cannabis, 
yeah, you you might have some rules that you have to adhere to, state and federal, because the federal rules are not in sync with the state rules. Welcome to America, folks. Surprise. Yeah, surprise. And uh, and some municipality rules might not be in sync with the state rules. Uh, that's a possibility. I don't actually know about that. But what about growing peas and kale and lettuce and all the stuff that uh, people grow in your backyard? Sometimes your local municipality comes by and says, no, you can't do that. Or, or in the wintertime. Uh, well, exactly, with a hoop house. And therein lies the issue. We're going to discuss that with Nicole Virgil and Representative Sonia Harper and, and other folks. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett tree experts to care for your trees. Now is a great time to go to Bartlett.com and see what they can do for you. Did you know that winter's a prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. Also, it's a great time to inspect your trees for any visibly hazardous conditions or structural issues. It's also easier now to work around a garden when the ground is frozen. Even during the growing season, Bartlett utilizes the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods to control tree pests, such as beneficial insects to manage the bad insects. And did we mention that Bartlett is the industry leader in safety? Whether it's a small residential project or a major commercial renovation, contact an arborist representative at Bartlett and get a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. This is Mike Novak. For weeks, Peggy and I have been talking about how easy it is to support clean energy thanks to Hero Power. And now they're backing that up by offering you $25 off to join the Hero Power Clean Energy Program. You get 100% of your electricity consumption matched with Green E certified renewable energy certificates every time you pay your electric bill. Plus, you'll never pay more than the ComEd rate. You'll know where your money is going without extra costs or termination fees. Your bill doesn't change. Your service doesn't change. You still pay the ComEd basic electric rate. Sign up in less than two minutes and Hero Power will handle the rest. Plus, you can get a $25 credit off your first bill when you sign up and mention that you heard about Hero Power on the Mike Novak Show. Support clean energy now at MyHeroPower.com. I switched. You should too. Go to MyHeroPower.com. Our last best hope for saving this unique fragile blue orb is the power of we. And it comes to Chicago from March 6 through 15 in the form of the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival. 26 films, 48 events, four counties. It's family friendly with screenings for children as young as age three. Venues include Navy Pier, Peggy Notabart Nature Museum, the Chicago Cultural Center, and more. Be part of the Midwest premier environmental film festival. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. That's the coronavirus song out of uh, Vietnam. The government put together a song, and and again really? that was on yeah that was on the the uh, John Oliver. 
program, uh, and it's uh, kind of peppy, and people are doing dance-offs to it, and I forget what they uh, call it. I don't, I don't, uh, it, I don't get uh, John Oliver I, anymore. I, on yeah, my but, cable. It, but on TikTok they're doing that. They're, TikTok. Yeah, on TikTok they're they're taking the song and they're people are <laughs> stream, streaming themselves dancing to the "Please Don't Contaminate Your Friends." Uh, song from Vietnam. Doing the elbow bump so to the that's song. The, and it's called Jealous Coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, good It grief. is a jealous uh, coronavirus. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very pleased to have in studio here once again. We keep talking. I'm going to boost this just a little bit for myself. Hold on. Nobody move and nobody gets hurt. Okay, great. <laughs> we, we have... Uh, Nicole Virgil, hi. Welcome. Good morning. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Here we are, early March. This is the time you should be uh, getting your veggies and seedlings together. Um, but you're uh, you're in the halls of the General Assembly these days, aren't you? Yes, uh, I in, am. In Springfield, Illinois. Um, Nicole Virgil has been, as I mentioned in the first segment, uh, Nicole's been on the program before to talk about an issue that's been going on in her backyard which is in the suburb of Elmhurst, uh, which is just outside of Chicago, for those of you listening uh, elsewhere in the country. And one of the problems she had is she and her husband and her family put together this remarkable hoop house. And those of you who garden, who grow things outdoors, know what a hoop house can do. It's it's a way to extend your season. You bring warmth into it. Uh, it you can control the environment uh, to a degree that you cannot control outside, uh, including rain and too much rain or not enough rain, whatever. Water is part of it. Uh, temperature is another part of it. Um, and uh, as she was putting it up, and, and here's – I'm going to ask you a question here, Nicole – because uh, I was looking at your YouTube uh, pages, uh, page rather, and she does have a YouTube page. It's called uh, The Right to Garden, and you can go to YouTube and find these uh, videos. Uh, Nicole explains the situation. And you said that when you were putting up this uh, hoop house in, what, 2016, um, that uh, you received a notice uh, from the city of Elmhurst, and they said, "Hey, this is uh, you haven't come to us for a permit," and so you immediately went and got a permit to do this. But that wasn't the end of it, right? Well, it was. Um, if I may just specify, it was 2015 that this happened. Oh, okay. The first sorry. time, right. and they said, uh, "That's right. You're right. 2015." I'm yeah. Sorry. We we went and of course stopped constructing, and then went to the city and discussed it with them and showed them what we were trying to do and that it was seasonal and temporary like many other temporary devices in someone's backyard mm-hmm. for seasonal activities. And they said, as, as long as it's temporary, you can keep it. Um, there was no permit required. There was no fee. It was under the general heading we understood at that time, like many other backyard seasonal devices. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and how long were you allowed to keep it up once you got your permit? Uh, well, again, there was no actual, per- but they gave us verbal permission, I guess you yeah, could say. Yeah. And then we kept it up till about this time of year because it starts to warm up. And then with the passive solar heating, it gets too hot in there. So we take it down mid-March-ish. So you took it down mid-March-ish of 2016. That's correct. So you were able to get the first winter in 2015, 2016. You grew things in there and then um, with the verbal permission of the right. city and then came back and... Uh, you took it down at the uh, be- beginning of the warm weather in 2016. Right. And then in the fall of 2016, you started reconstructing it. 
Right, under the same principle that was explained to us the previous season, as long as it's temporary, it's okay. We started constructing in October, late October-ish uh-huh. um, of 2016, and then we got a violation notice that we were to stop constructing immediately. And what were the, what was the premise of that violation notice? Well, to keep it succinct, there were a lot of details, but to keep it succinct, they didn't know. So we asked for... They this, didn't know what? They didn't know what violation we were <laughs> They creating. just know you were violating, so, right. hey, hey, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Right. Here, so we, take, we... Take this ticket and we'll... Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, we said... We'll get back to you. Why don't you actually show us the statute that we're breaking? And they yeah. said, oh, well, we'll get back to you. That is literally what literally. they said. We'll get back to you. Nice. So that took about a week to 10 days, and they came back with um, one section of the building code... The per- I should specify the permanent building code. Okay. So a building like this, a permanent single-family home, now, yes. right? <laughs> um, in the permanent building code, it says, and I quote, "Membrane structures shall not be permitted," which is appropriate for a permanent building. Sure, like that's reasonable. We agree. Mm-hmm. However, they were citing us for violating the permanent building code with a temporary structure, and since in English, permanent and temporary are antonyms, we felt that didn't apply. Mm-hmm. So, so what it sounds like to me is they knew what they wanted the outcome to be. Then they had to find the appropriate law uh, to fit the outcome that they had already determined. Nail on the head, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to start that first is to educate people on what the story was. Because ever since then, 2016 going into 2017 and we have first had you on the show in 2017 we had you again last year yeah i mean it this has just been going on now for five years yeah uh with the city of elmhurst back and forth and back and forth yeah uh at some point because i was looking at the blog post i wrote a couple of years ago and uh i think maybe i got something wrong or maybe this is part of it did you get any complaints from neighbors i know that most of your neighbors were supportive but did you have a voice in there that said, hey, uh, we don't want this here? Yeah, unbeknownst to us, the initial and secondary violation notice in both 2015 and 2016 were caused due to the complaints of a single household, which um, resides fairly close to ours. They have an address on the block behind ours, so their backyard is visible from our backyard. And they felt that they uh, were not able to enjoy the use of their property because having to look at our hoop house caused them emotional duress. Oh, okay. So it, w- it wasn't even making noise or or littering or causing damage to anything. It was just emotional distress well, from looking out the window. They claim that it made noise, but as you see from the testimony on the YouTube channel, every other neighbor in proximity claims that that noise right. did not exist. So we would assert that that's a spurious claim. Yeah. The, the hoop house mm-hmm. does not make noise. It's an inanimate object, and it was properly engineered. So even in the wind, there was not... Well, it was a good excuse. Yeah, it was a good excuse. So they claimed many things. They caused flooding, they claimed, that it kept them awake at night. Well, it, was it, so loud. it caused flooding, and how would it do that? Well, they say that the area of the ground that's covered is not able to absorb uh, so water. So the rest of the area is going to... So, however, a hoop house is not a greenhouse. It's not on a cement mm-hmm. slab. So water, as we know, when it hits the ground, it does... Seep, it can right? go yeah. under the hoop house, right? Yeah, so without any problem. And folks should know also that you're a gardener, and for years you have garden. You gardened without a hoop house, right? In the yard, 
uh, which means that you've been tending to the soil. Right. And as anybody who's had a garden in their yard knows, people who are gardeners and tend the soil uh, have yards that absorb water. That, right. That it doesn't run off. So right. that's a ridiculous comment anyway. To, it is ridiculous. To, yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and the other thing folks should know is that, uh, the structure itself is significant. All right. It's nine feet tall, 11 and a half feet wide, 32 feet long. And it's a magnificent building. I mean, you guys, you guys did it upright. It doesn't look ramshackle at all. It's not. My husband over-engineered the thing. He is an engineer <laughs> by trade, although he, it technically is a software engineer. You, if you know any engineers in your life, you'll understand that type of mindset, very yeah. particular. So he went way past USDA standards for the structure in every regard. It was very solid structure. And I want to comment, we put specific effort into functioning within all existing zoning codes for permanent buildings, meaning setbacks from the property line and maximum lot coverage. So although the hoop house was large, we used arithmetic to determine that we would stay below our maximum lot coverage in spite of the right size. because there's, yeah, it was there's a very a, conscientious approach to it, and yes. which is what thirty percent or something. Correct. Like that. Yeah. So Correct. you yeah. so you were very careful about that, uh, meticulously built it. It's a beautiful structure. Uh, I, I you know when I looked at it first, my only comment was, "Boy, it's pretty big," uh, and I can understand why some people m- might object to that. Except that you've got other structures like that, as you say, in the city that are not being fined. A variety of them for a variety of uses. I mean, we have, you know, those trampolines with sides that go up to 13 feet tall that are visible from much further away. I don't even know what that is. Oh. I've never. Uh, <laughs> I live. I live, you just see a, a kid above the house, below the house, well, above the house. Right. And then they put these yeah. mesh walls on They're it huge. so that the kid can't fall off the trampoline. Yes. And they go up to 13, 14 it, feet it, tall. It would far. have the footprint of a very small backyard swimming pool yeah. in many cases. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, is see, is I, my mic on? I can't even hear myself. Uh, I live in the city. So, yeah, you're on. Okay. You're on. I can't you're hear on. myself. Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. Just crank it until your ears bleed. That's what you really <laughs> need to do here. Uh, so... So there are those things, and so somebody's uh, had it in for you. It sounds like to me. Uh, so you you fought this, and uh, you fought it, and you fought it, and uh, with a lot of community support, I want to say. You know, we have a lot of supporters, hundreds of them who yeah. came out for years and, to, and you had DuPage County representatives as well. Yep, because you are in the county of DuPage, yep. and. Uh, and the county supports the use of hoop houses. And the city said you could do it, but if you make it really tiny, they gave you some numbers. That yeah, you... they said a maximum of six feet tall at the apex, which you know that's just the center, right? So it would right. go yeah. down from there. They never answered how we would put a regulation door on it since a regulation door is six foot eight inches. So by mm-hmm. code, we couldn't use a door that they would approve, and we wouldn't be able to stand up in most of it. And I said, look, in these times, you're not going to ask me of all people, to bend over on my property when everybody else is able to stand up. It's not happening. In fact, jump 30 feet in the air on a trampoline, too. No, not Uh, doing it. Had you put it on a trampoline, no. (laughs) So uh, after all this, you said, okay, if you're you're not going to work with me, I guess I have to work against you. And you went to the state legislature to say, you know what? This doesn't seem reasonable to us. And lo and behold, you've gotten a bunch of people on your side there. Yeah. So the state does protect rights of, of its citizens, right? It protects patients' rights and victims' rights. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a property right. Uh-huh. 
Uh, do we have Representative Sonia Harper? No, no we but don't. We, we do have Elliot. Okay. So we have uh, on the phone with us Elliot Clay from the Illinois Environmental Council. We were trying to get Representative Sonia Harper uh, from the 6th Illinois District because she is the primary sponsor. In the House, yes. In the House of this. And, of course, there's a bill in the Senate as well. Uh, we've got the, the two bills that will come together at some point. Uh, what are the numbers again? Do you have those? You yeah, must... HB 4704 is the House bill mm-hmm. uh, with Chief Sponsor Representative Sonia Harper. And the Senate bill is uh, Chief Sponsored by uh, Senator Scott Bennett, and that's SB 3329. All right. Those are the bills you're looking for. Let's. We've got uh, not quite two minutes here. I want to bring in Elliot Clay from the Illinois Environmental Council. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning, Mike. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, my pleasure. He's the Agriculture and Water Programs Director at the IEC. Why is it, you know, let's just cut to the chase here. Why is it you guys got involved with this? <laughs> no, that's a great question. Our organization usually deals, obviously, with a lot of environmental issues. But one of the things we've really been focused on the last couple of years is the ideas behind sustainable agriculture in general. And a lot of that, you know, has to do with like downstate traditional ag. But we've also taken in this idea of, you know, food sovereignty, I think, has kind of become more of a prevalent thing. And um, a lot of it's been related to issues in Chicago around gardening. But Nicole came to us with her problem in Elmhurst. And we decided, you know, is should gardening be a right of people to grow their own food? And we think it should. Um, There's issues with food deserts all over the state. Um, along with a plethora of other issues. And I think Nicole highlighted that there are some municipalities that just don't, uh, you know, just aren't allowing their citizens to do what they should be able to do. Yeah. That, okay. That's a good way to, to, to start this. We're going to go to a break and come back with uh, Elliot Clay and uh, Nicole Virgil and discuss this right to garden. Uh, it's a really interesting concept. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMille. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago Smart Talk. 2019 marked 20 years of faith in place, empowering people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth. Not only that, right now is the 10th annual season of the Indoor Winter Farmers Market Program. Enjoy fresh local food from November through April at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by 16 Chicagoland Houses of Worship on select Saturdays and Sundays. Faith in Place accepts Illinois Link Card SNAP benefits. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. Back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have Nicole Virgil 
in studio. We are talking about the right to garden. Now, that sounds like uh, that should be a given, I would guess. Um, Unfortunately, it's not, especially if you want a hoop house in your backyard. Elliot Clay from the Illinois Environmental Council is on the phone with us as well. So I want to pick up where we left off uh, when we went to break, and uh, that is about that right. As I mentioned in the very first segment of the show, We live right now in the age of coronavirus. Now, we don't know how serious it's going to be in the United States. It's pretty serious to the people in Washington State. It's pretty serious to the people in Italy and in China and Iran. Uh, And it might be in your neighborhood, wherever you live in this country. Uh, And I and here's what I think. If I can if 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 I get to be if I'm living in a hot spot and I live smack dab in the middle of the city of Chicago, do I think Chicago is going to become a hot spot? You bet I do. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to be really grateful if it's not. You know, I'm not fear-mongering here. I'm just saying I'm, I've been watching the news. I'm watching what's going on here. And if I can avoid a trip to the supermarket and mingling and rubbing elbows and touching things in a public place, if I can grow my lettuce and my kale and my peas in my backyard and not have to go outside, I think that's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Um, it's your own victory garden. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Literally. Right? Yeah. And so this is where this right to garden comes in. Part of the way you do it is with a structure like a hoop house. And a lot of people have these and they don't have problems with it. And you ran into this problem in this suburb of Chicago and you were forced to go to the state legislature and go, okay. And you've had uh, a lot of folks, a lot of organizations step up to help you. That's correct. With with this. Um, some of them are the Institute for Justice, the Sustained DuPage, uh, the Illinois NAACP, Advocates for Urban Agriculture, the Illinois Stewardship Alliance, uh, and Illinois Coalition for Informed Consent, and others, I would imagine, as well. Uh, during the break, you were talking to me about Institute for Justice because there was a similar issue in Florida so this is not confined just to Illinois. This happened in Florida. What happened down there? Yeah, there were some people, more than one couple, uh, more than one family, but one family kind of championed the case where they had been growing in their front yard because they didn't have a backyard to grow in. They had been growing for 17 years for health reasons. They wanted, they needed organic, high-quality, fresh food. Mm-hmm. And then out of the blue, their municipal government wrote an ordinance saying, well, you can grow, um, you know, plants, but as long as they're not vegetative or vegetable plants in your front yard. And they were... We, I've seen this before, you know, we've right. talked about this all over the country where, yeah, you can grow a lawn and put some use right. in there, but uh, don't try any native plants. And right. for God's sake, don't put any vegetables in your right. front yard. Right. You can have a hosta, but not an eggplant. <laughs> Although kale and hosta just kind of tuck them together. Yeah. yeah. And right. You, and you, anyway. can, you can eat hostas, by the way. They're they're good right. if, if they're fresh. Throw them on the with, grill. With it. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. On the so, Barbie. <laughs> so the Institute for Justice came to their aid. Um, it took approximately six years. They went through the judicial system and eventually wound up in the Florida state legislature. And the opposition that they faced um, was a similar type of opposition that we face in the state of Illinois. We have the Illinois Municipal League, which represents the municipal governments that feel that my having a hoop house against their wishes overrides their local regulatory power. 
And so they don't want to have the perception of losing regulatory power. And so that's the primary opposition. And they are a formidable opponent. Of course they are. So there's a, a It's similar... like going against the Chamber of Commerce or something. Right. You know? right. And I imagine the Chamber of Commerce is probably on the side of the municipal folks. I haven't seen them weigh in, but I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah. So in, in Florida, they have some such group. Uh, it's not the same name, but you get the idea. And uh, uh, the Institute for Justice fought with them as long as it took, took six years. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, they passed a bill forbidding local governments from regulating residential gardens. All right. Well, that takes us back to Elliot Clay, because when we look at these kinds of laws, um, I don't know if you consider this a preemption law, but it, it is remarkably like a preemption law. And in my book, I'm not a fan of preemption laws. You know, I would rather that the local municipality work out a deal, Mm -hmm. which they did not. And it it backed you against the wall. And so you decided you had to do this, uh, Nicole. But uh, in Illinois, and I know you've been with the IEC for about a year. Is that right, Elliot? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. But I think you have some experience with uh, dealing with legislatures and that sort of thing. And yeah, and, and, and and, you know. The IEC is a formidable group to get in there because you're you're down in Springfield. You're doing work for the environment in Illinois, uh, and you've seen the uh, the effect of preemption laws. Like, for instance, pesticides. A local municipality cannot have a pesticide a law that is stronger than the state law. And this was passed in the early '90s, and we're still at that point, aren't we, Elliot? Yes, that is correct. Um, The municipal governments still have a lot of power over some things, but obviously there's some laws in the state that the state government says the local municipalities should not have a say in how this shakes out. So it's interesting to see, I mean, what what is the reaction you're getting in Springfield uh, from the legislature uh, to this law? I mean... as Nicole was saying with the Illinois Municipal League, I mean, we've, we've drawn the ire of basically every municipality in the state. Hmm. Um, if you look at... You almost got Mike getting coffee through his nose. Okay, I got to give you a couple. You guys get two dings, including a beer ding for that one. All right. So, yeah, if you check out the witness slips on this bill, I mean, you will literally see, like, every major city is slipped in opposition of this. Wow. Um, and part of the reason it is, is because one of the things we put in the bill is a preemption on home rule. Um, basically, the idea that no local government is going to be able to regulate, uh, you know, gardening in this state beyond what is going to be listed in the law if this were to pass. Including Chicago? Including Chicago. Wow. But, but I will say Chicago has one of the more progressive hoop house policies sure. in the state. Yeah. So. So we they don't, they don't care because you can put a hoop house in Chicago. So, you yeah. know, and, and, and that's the point here. Uh, I would think that a lot of those municipalities, Elliot, would be getting together and sort of grabbing Elmhurst by the scruff of the neck and pulling them into the men's room or the ladies' room and saying, hey, we need to have a little chat with you here. Why, why, that, why don't you yeah. loosen up on this? Yeah, and that's something that we've been kind of thinking about when – we did this last year. It was a different kind of bill the way it was written. And what I was thinking was going to happen was that the Illinois Municipal League and other municipalities were going to sit down with Elmhurst and be like, all right, you guys need to figure this out because it's going to wind up affecting all of us if you don't. 
And um, so far, that has not happened. Mm. They are they're digging in their heels at this point. So, oh, why? What what is once you get past everything? What is is causing them to just dig in their heels? Well, I think one of the quotes we had in a meeting recently, I remember somebody <laughs> saying I had brought up this idea, like I said earlier, of food sovereignty, and somebody from the Illinois Municipal League looked at me and said, well, what about our municipal sovereignty? So it's one of those things where they feel like if we're telling them they can't do something, it's taking away a freedom of theirs. And I think it ultimately comes down to this argument, whose sovereignty is more important, the municipal governments or the citizens living in it? And um, it's come to this. Well, talk to them about that when it comes to gun rules okay uh that's another one that you know at, at some point everybody said hey well the state says we can't uh, have a stricter mm-hmm. uh gun safety yeah. rules in, in our municipalities that oppose it have but, trouble but when it comes to a hoop house can't have that you know yeah. so it's so it's a little weird it's very interesting and i think it highlights too why this bill has gotten a lot of opposition but it's also got a lot of bipartisan support and it's because of those same arguments revolving around things kind of like Second Amendment rights. There's a lot of conservatives that are like, do not tell me what I can and can't do on my own property. And that includes gardening. Well, and, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, I've, and I've been online and you've seen these too, I'm sure, Nicole. Uh, I, I, I've stumbled on a couple of sites and, oh, and did you see what the idiots in Springfield are doing now? They're going to tell us what we can garden and can't garden in our yard. And it's weird that they would put it that way because you're looking for the freedom to put up a hoop house. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, in fairness, I should say there were some drafting errors when the bill was first released. And so I think that's the majority. So you of think what that's where, where that came from? I'm pretty sure because it, it stated the opposite of what the bill intended to, to. That's been amended since then. You know, it's been corrected. But I think people were concerned about that well i saw that too and i saw you do a post uh, a video post a couple of weeks ago and yeah. said hey the language is wrong we need to fix that that's not a good way to get out of the gate yeah. here either okay all right uh we will continue this conversation it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki we're talking about yeah the right to garden we'll be right back Did you know air pollution from road transportation costs about $1 trillion a year in healthcare? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Yes, now is the time to consider buying an electric vehicle, also known as an EV. It's a great way to start to break our addiction to fossil fuels. Even with gas prices below $2.50 per gallon, you can save from $400 to $1,000 a year on fuel costs. The price of EVs has come down considerably, and there are generous federal and state tax incentives. Who doesn't want to reduce health risks and greenhouse gases, save money, and drive a space-age cool car? I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. From small boat to your dinner table with a quick stop at your doorstep. 
The seafood at Sitka Salmon Shares comes from a collective of small boat fishermen who respect the ocean and its sea life. They're a community-supported fishery like your CSA. Instead of produce, they bring you responsibly harvested, wild-caught Alaskan seafood. The fish is in season and reflects the limits of nature. You even know who caught the fish. It's right on the box. Sign up today. I did. Use promo code Mike25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. Hey everyone, this is Peggy, and I'm here to tell you about Natural Awakening Chicago Magazine, your independent go-to resource for everyday wellness. Natural Awakenings is still the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. For more than 10 years, we've been at the leading edge of healthy living, helping you find ideas and trusted resources to lead a more fulfilled and sustainable lifestyle. Each month, we go beyond the trends to take a fresh look at food and nutrition, wellness, personal growth, and green living. Natural Awakenings includes great articles for parents about raising healthy kids too as well as ideas for your sustainable home and garden and if you like good food you'll love our tasty recipes and meal ideas from plant-based and gluten-free options to healthy versions of classic recipes and even lunches your kids will love natural awakenings is available throughout the city as well as suburban cook dupage lake and McHenry counties and it's free or read it online at nachicago.com natural awakenings feel good live simply laugh more Especially legislatures. No one seems to care. Well, I do. Hey, who's in charge here? That's what we're trying to find out. All right, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malek. This is my favorite environmental song, even though it's not an environmental song. It's from the TV series Monk. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Which I love. Just love Monk. Uh, and this is Randy Newman, of course. So uh, we're talking about the right to garden in your own backyard and how in Illinois, um, Nicole Virgil, who's in the studio with us, has been forced to go to the legislature and get them to pass a law so that she can actually just put a hoop house in her backyard. I mean, when you say it out loud like that, it seems silly. It seems like you, yeah, it's it's like using a hammer to kill a mosquito, Okay. There's a reason the NAACP has been supportive, Mike, if I can just put it Go for it. No, that... Oh, okay. All right. I'm just... Yeah. Intimating a point. (laughs) And and so, and here we are, uh, and uh, we've been talking also with Elliot Clay from the Illinois Environmental Council, uh, who's on uh, the Zoom with us. So what are the realistic expectations about getting this passed in Illinois? So... Right now, as was mentioned earlier, we've got a version of this bill in the House and the Senate. Um, right now, the bill in the House committee is on a very, it's on what's called the Cities and Villages Committee, which is made up of a lot of people that are very, very close with the Illinois Municipal League. So it's good, that's going to be a tough fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think right now that we could get this bill out of the Senate within the next month or so. Um, we're going to run up against some deadlines. We've got to get stuff moving. 
but we think realistically that we could get it out of the Senate. The House is a different beast in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. So we're still racking up co-sponsors at this point. I remain hopeful that we can do something, but as you know, a lot of people know the legislature is a pretty tricky mm-hmm. thing. So we'll have oh, to, yeah. we'll have to <laughs> see. So is where's the opposition mostly coming from? Is it all over the state or certain portions of the state? I think it's basically all over. I mean, we've gotten um, opposition slips from the very southern tip of Illinois all the way up to Chicago. So, yeah, they're the Illinois Municipal League, I think, sent out an alert to all of their members, which is basically every municipality is saying oppose this bill. So it's kind of put us in a weird spot. But, you know, this is what we signed up for, I guess, you know, I guess so. But and that's why I asked at the very beginning, why did you jump on board with this? Because it's an uphill slog. Although I when I go online and I look at the sponsors, it seems like you're adding more sponsors all the time to this bill. Is that right, Nicole? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Both sides. Both sides. Both so, sides. So it's, we're going to have a mighty clash here. And again, I don't know why the municipal folks don't just grab Elmhurst and say, come on, dudes. Yeah. Really, no, and I, get, I, get over it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think this highlights this bigger issue about what powers, you know, some of these municipal governments should have and what should be a right of a citizen to do what they want on their own property. You know, and, and that's there's an irony there. Uh <laughs> it's well you can use whatever pesticides you want in your backyard that that's kind of up to you but you know again as i mentioned before uh the municipality can't control that at all they elmer's could not pass a law and say hey you can't use uh, a weed and feed on your lawn because mm-hmm. it's already be, been preempted by the state but yeah. they they want to be able to say no you can't put a hoop house in your yawn, in your backyard, which is something that would actually benefit its citizens. It's, uh, it's just, um, it seems, re- it's really frustrating and it doesn't seem fair somehow. Well, and Mike, oh, if I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, Nicole, go ahead. I, I just want to clarify something here that adds insult to injury. Okay. It is not that they are actually forbidding all Elmhurst residents to have membrane structures. The membrane structures for temporary seasonal use or design are all over Elmhurst. They won't let me have one because they enforce the permanent building code against my temporary seasonal structure. Then when you ask them about all the other structures in town, they say, what other structures? We can't find them. We don't see them. We can't enforce it. You see, so it's really ugly. Isn't isn't that what we call in the courts arbitrary and capricious? Uh, uh, You're you're nodding, Elliot. Because <laughs> I mean, it seems to me that this, if the, it doesn't work in the state legislature, now you're headed for the courts. Uh, uh, do you have the stamina to continue this fight, Nicole? I will tell you, I have no appetite to lay down with someone's heel on my neck and pay taxes to live on my own property, which my husband and I care for deeply. And, and you've be been there for a long time. For 20 years. Yep. And to be treated differently than every other resident in my town. That's not happening. So stamina or no, I'm yeah. not going to lay down for being mistreated. All right. So folks want to get their voices heard on this issue. There are various places they can go. Um, you want to start enumerating those, <laughs> Nicole? Well, there's our Right to Garden website. That's www.righttogarden.com. 
And we have a YouTube channel which tells the whole story and documents mm-hmm. everything. You can just go to YouTube and type in Right to Garden there or YouTube.com forward slash Right to Garden. Um, so those are the, the two big sites. And we have some Facebook pages too. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two, two sites will get you started. So are there any petitions? Is there anything anybody can sign? Uh, not at this point, okay. no. Um, I will say uh, we've got if the, if folks want to just slip as just a private citizen on these bills in committee, they can totally do that with witness slips. There is also going to be a local food lobby day in Springfield on April second to highlight not just this bill but a lot of other um, agriculture related and cottage food um, related legislation that's in the uh, legislature this year. Like like what, for instance? Um, well, we've got one that we're working on with the Illinois Stewardship Alliance that is going to open up uh, direct-to-consumer sales for co- a lot of different cottage food products. Right now, most of that is just limited to farmers' market sales, but uh, we're going to try to change some um, some statutes so folks can sell it directly out of their own mm-hmm. home, which uh, should promote you know local food yeah. activities. Change the cottage food laws, yeah. And and uh, you mentioned uh, signing a slip. Uh, you've also been encouraging people to do that, right, Nicole? Right. When when the bills um, come back online, uh, maybe Elliot can speak to this. But uh, when they're not on the agenda, you can't slip for them. But once they once the Illinois General Assembly website posts them to an agenda for the committee, then the slips open up again. The slipping process opens up again. Yeah, uh, that's correct. And what's the easiest way to to find out how to do that? Uh, ILGA.gov, and then you type in the bill number. That would be HB 4704 or SB 3329. And and you're telling the people that on your various sites as well, how, yes. how to do that. So we have to wait till the committee takes action. Is that correct, correct right now? Till they yeah, place so, it on the agenda, yeah. Elliot? Yeah, the, the legislature is not in this next week, but the following week they're coming back, and that's when both bills will be posted for committee. Uh, I want to thank you guys both. For being on the show today. Uh, if you're interested in this, go to the Right to Garden sites, YouTube and um, website. Uh, and Elliot, thank you for being here and uh, thank you for your work on behalf of the Illinois Environmental Council. Thanks for being part of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. For those of you listening locally or on the video stream, we'll be back in the next hour. For everyone else, go green or go home. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make- 
me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki and speaking of good food to eat. Don't try throwing them in a hoop house in Elmhurst. Other than that, uh, yeah, get out there and, and start getting the seedlings in and uh, figure out. You know, it looks like, and we'll talk to Rick DeMaio uh, later uh, in the program, um, as always. Uh, he sent us a bunch of maps. I don't know if you had a chance to look at any of those. Yeah, I did. But the all the prognostications for the winter were off. It was much warmer than folks thought it would be. It was drier than mm-hmm. folks thought it would be, which, and it looks like that's going to continue. I'm, I'm here and uh, I got a little uh, Zoom issue there, uh, Andrew. No, I heard somebody. Okay. Sounds like we're cool. All right. Um, it's, uh, so I think folks are, can get their, start planning their gardens. We talked about that last week, you know, because it looks like we're not going to get any blasts of cold air. I mean, we could. Yeah. We could. You're always taking a chance. You got to keep your eye on the uh, forecast. Yeah, it, and that's it how it still that... could be cooler, but. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he will be here later and uh, we'll talk about that and, and the maps he sent us because we did our homework and, and <laughs> now we got to take the quiz. Uh, the One <laughs> no! Earth, the One Earth Film Festival, which we've been talking about on the show, started on Friday. So you've got all week uh, to get out there. You know, here's here's what I'm going to tell people. It's like, get out there before coronavirus comes to Illinois, okay? And I know, it's like, I'm just saying stuff out loud that everybody's thinking, all right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying not trying to make people scared. I'm saying, now's the time. Get out there, because we're not a hot spot. This is, you know, go, uh, and don't touch anything and just go. Go see a movie uh, because uh, it, it is it's they've got some great stuff. We've mm-hmm. seen some of the films, Peggy and I. I, I see I got a notice from the One Earth Film Festival. Um, uh, Go Green Oak Park rec- recommends several of the films, including Overload, America's Toxic Love Story. It's about the hundreds of synthetic toxins that are now found in every baby born in America. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, but, you know, you need to know this information. Yeah. Knowledge yeah. is power, as they say. Uh, beyond climate. Uh, and by the way, that's at uh, uh, um, Wednesday, March 11th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., which is the time we will be doing our bit at uh, Dovetail Brewery. And we'll be talking about that in the second segment. Yeah. Uh, at the Oak Park Library, uh, Overload America's Toxic Love Story. They, yes. Go ahead. We also have tickets to give away, so I oh. want to make sure we got time. Okay. Beyond Climate, Saturday, March 14th at the Oak Park Public Library. Um, the story of plastic. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to know about the story of plastic. Uh, Tuesday, March 10th at uh, Malcolm X College in Chicago. Use Less, uh, uh, or Useless actually is the name of it, but Use Less, a documentary on food and fashion. Waste, and I'll tell you, we we need to do a we story really about fashion. A couple shows on fashion, yeah. because this is turning out to be one. I mean, because of Amazon and because of the d- deliveries, people buy clothes. They decide they're not going to use them. They send them back, and then they get junked. Mm-hmm. They do not get reused. They do not get recycled. Or they and, buy cheap fashion because it's cheap, right? And and we talked about that with Adam Minter a little bit uh, mm-hmm. when we uh, had. Uh, 
uh, oh, what was the name of the book? Um, I can't remember. I remember the subject. Yard sale or? Uh, ah, I well, well I'll come I... up with it at the break. Okay, go ahead yeah. with your. So um, it's uh, 2020 Focus on Flowers, Chicago Flower and Garden Show is coming up March 18th through 22nd at Navy Pier. We've got some more tickets to give away. And by the way, we will be sending out the ticket information later this week. We haven't sent it out. We're saving it to do it all at once. So if you've won tickets, you will be getting them. So, oh, so um, I've been waiting for my tickets. <laughs> we'll be back. When it comes to tree care, it's all about the science. Well, there's love and history and family, too, but you definitely want the best science for your trees. That's why you should contact Bartlett Tree Experts at Bartlett.com. With 120 offices around the world, including Canada, England, and Ireland, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world. Their work is backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories in North Carolina. They pioneered integrated pest management management or IPM in the 1970s introduced the first organic fertilizer and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health at the same time they're focused on you and your needs meaning that they'll do the right thing for your tree and you put science to work for your trees get a free estimate today because every tree needs a champion go to bartlett.com This is Mike Novak. For weeks, Peggy and I have been talking about how easy it is to support clean energy thanks to Hero Power. And now they're backing that up by offering you $25 off to join the Hero Power Clean Energy Program. You get 100% of your electricity consumption matched with Green E certified renewable energy certificates every time you pay your electric bill. Plus, you'll never pay more than the ComEd rate. You'll know where your money is going without extra costs or termination fees. Your bill doesn't change. Your service doesn't change. You still pay the ComEd basic electric rate. Sign up in less than two minutes and Hero Power will handle the rest. Plus, you can get a $25 credit off your first bill when you sign up and mention that you heard about Hero Power on the Mike Novak Show. Support clean energy now at MyHeroPower.com. I switched. You should too. Go to MyHeroPower.com. back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, coming up this Wednesday, I mentioned it a, a little earlier, um, Peggy and I are going to be working once again with Crate Free Illinois um, on the 11th uh, at Dovetail Brewery. It is Chicago's first factory farmed animal welfare town hall. And it's going to be a chance for you to Show up, have some beers, have some brewskis, have some great plant-based uh, food, plant-based food, and uh, voice your opinion about the world around you and where we get our meat, where we get our food, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's safe, whether it's healthy for you, um, and whether it's safe and healthy for the land and the animals. Yes, and we'll be watching a film called Carnivore's Dilemma. It's not that long; it's under an hour. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a jumping-off point for our conversation, and we have a terrific lineup of people who are going to be at this event. 
Mark Ayers from the Humane Society of the United States, Josh Richards uh, from <laughs> the Humane League, uh, Tyler Lodbell uh, from Food and Water Watch, Aaron Kwiatkowski uh, from Mercy for Animals, and of course, our friend of the show, Jessica Chipkin, who is the founder of... Uh, I'm going to let you know that whoever's sniffing out there, it is coming loud and clear through the uh, through the, the Zoom machine. So do be careful. If you're going to do that, back off from the mic. Uh, we've got Jessica Chipkin on. The and, f- and who's moderating? Uh, oh, yes. And I will be moderating. Well, and, and Peggy will be running the camera because we're going to stream it live on Facebook as well. Let's bring in Jessica Chipkin, the founder. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and what's the other position you are with Crate Free Illinois, Jessica? Well, I'm the founder, and I, I, I'm the president of Crate Free Illinois. Because I know you're not the executive director, right? It's, no, that's Lisa Lubin. That's right. Do that. That's and Lisa. I gotta, I gotta mention. I heard her the other day on Progresso Radio, uh, and I was waiting for her to say, uh, "And don't worry." Uh, well, I was waiting for her to say, "Well, Mike Novak will be hosting uh, the or moderating the the town hall." <laughs> That never came out on uh, Progresso Radio. Hmm, wonder why that is. Okay, but that's okay. She sounded great, and it was a good plug yeah. for the event. Uh, so welcome, and uh, tell me about uh, putting this together. Why Why a town hall? Last year we were at your event, and, of course, Bill Turk hosted that. Uh, he was the moderator for, for that uh, program. Uh, and this year you're calling it a town hall. What's the difference? Why, why are you doing this? We're doing it because we want it to be more interactive. Last year, if you remember, we had a fantastic crowd. Um, the movie was two hours, and then we had a panel discussion, and there really, there really wasn't that much time for interaction with the people who came that evening. So we want to kind of turn that around a bit and get people more engaged and involved because that's really the whole point of why we're doing this. We want people to walk away from this event with a better feeling and understanding and a motivation to really get involved in dealing with this problem. So that, that's the whole reason we want people to get involved with it. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, we will be watching the film Carnivore's Dilemma. Tell us just a little bit about that. The, the, it's filmed, the, 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 the movie is by a French journalist, mm-hmm. and... He, he has a, a newborn son, and he looks around at the food system, and he's trying to decide, do I really want my family to partake of food like this? Are there better alternatives? And part of it is shot in France. Part of it is shot in the United States. So you can compare the two systems of industrial farming organizations. And, and, and Portugal every, as well. Yeah, right. And everything you see in, in, in Europe, it's actually mm-hmm. intensified in the United States. In parts of Europe, um, gestation crates and some of the other forms of confinement have already been banned, although it doesn't, it doesn't really re- get reflected in that in, in this video. Um, so, and then he, the movie goes on to talk about some of the more sustainable farming practices in, in this country as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a good overview on how, how change to the system can be made and people can participate in that. Yeah, and it was, it was interesting because I watched the film last evening and he kind of went through pork farms, chicken farms, egg farms, and then cattle farms. So he kind of crossed the whole gamut, and it was interesting when he came to the U.S., visited several farms, and he encountered a uh, veal farm. And he said he had never seen 
the veal, the little veal houses. I can't think of what you call them, but he had never seen them before. Veal, he was just, yeah, yeah, veal crates. They call veal them. crates. Yeah, and it was yeah. just it, it was interesting to watch the contrasts and things happening in Europe that you thought they weren't doing, but they still are. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially in this area, got a good glimpse into the veal crates. Um, Last summer, when all the news was, when there was so much news about Fair Oaks Farm, I think people got a yeah. some, some better insight into that. I'm sure, we all remember that. And as Peggy points out here, uh, in watching the film, you you realize that there's a lot of dis- different. Whoa, is that that's not no? You have a bird. That's it... no, I have a bird, and the bird I'm in the other room. <laughs> so that's either Aaron's or uh... whose dog is that? Uh, it's my very active, very exciting ah, dog uh, in the background. Sorry about no, that. No, that's fine, Erin. Uh, we we like animals on the show. In yeah, fact, yeah, I, they love, that's, that's welcome. Welcome. Yeah, I always uh, I encourage uh, uh, Jessica to have her bird uh, in the room. Uh, I'm I'm sorry yeah. that uh, th- that it's not. So uh, well, you, the problem the problem with this bird um, isn't so much. The, the screaming, which I know we all enjoy, she keeps <laughs> landing on my head, which can be very distracting when I talk because she brings food up there. Uh, <laughs> ah, and that's so, so, that's you, why. so that's you have food dripping down. Hey, folks in the control right. room. Right, yeah. yeah, it's very distracting. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, well, and as you heard, that's uh, Aaron uh, Kwiatowski. Uh, is that close enough for you? How do you pronounce it, Aaron? Um, I pronounce it Kwiatowski, but I love every attempt at how people <laughs> pronounce my name. So. Aaron K. Well, yeah. it's and it probably it's like uh, Kwiatkowski or something like this if you do it in uh, in in the original. Uh, I'm Polish and I'm terrible at at, at, my, at Polish names. Kwiatkowski. <laughs> okay, we'll go. Aaron K. All right. Yeah. Very good. Uh, mm-hmm. And Erin is uh, with Mercy for Animals, which is why she has a dog in the room who's going to contribute to the conversation as much as possible. Uh, you're going to be on the panel uh, with us uh, on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, tell us a little bit about Mercy for Animals. Sure. Well, we actually just celebrated our 20-year anniversary last year. Very excited to be working in this movement um, for so many decades. Uh, we started out exclusively doing undercover investigations and um, and really realized that there's so many other supplemental things that we could do with undercover investigations um, through legal advocacy, corporate advocacy. And so um, as our organization expanded, we expanded kind of those supplemental programs around our undercover investigations. Uh, we recently started expanding into other countries. We have offices now in uh, Brazil, Mexico, hmm. India, and Hong Kong. And so we are working in areas of the world where there are either the highest levels of meat consumption or the highest number of farmed animals living in those countries. Um, so we can make the biggest impact where, where possible. Um, so now we are 20 years later, or 21 years later, and we have uh, a team of about 120 around the world. And we are working uh, on a lot of different levels, and I'm looking forward to talking about some of those today. But uh, most significantly, I think, for this discussion, we have a program uh, where we do corporate advocacy with animal welfare work, where we ask companies, major food companies, to commit to what is called the Better Chicken Commitment. And that is uh, a list of about five elements of of animal welfare that takes place in in farms. Um, It's exclusively related to chickens. Um, 
but we are very, very proudly working on the ground to get the uh, Better Chicken commitment in as many company policies on their website where they're publicly promoting this as possible. We also work with contract, contract chicken farmers to transition their farms to grow plants. And then my program, which is uh, mostly related to corporate, the corporate food industry, but we're working very hard to build a robust plant-based economy. And we do that by encouraging companies to use plant-based meat and promote the plant-based meat to their general consumer. Okay, we're going to go to Tyler here, but I will tell you, Aaron, because there's folks watching us on Facebook, you might want to tilt that camera up just a touch. Yeah? Do you want to see my face? Yeah, we do. (laughs) Or the top of your head. Yeah. That's better. All right. That's better. better. There we go. So let's go to the other folks, uh, person on the the, uh, Zoom machine, and that's Tyler Lodebell. Uh, and Tyler, I imagine because it's it's really easy to flip the D and the B in your name. I bet you get that a lot, don't you? Uh, yes, I get all sorts of variations: Lovedale, Lovetel, all sorts of fun things. Yeah. But it, but it is Ludbell, is that it? Lovedell, yep. You're Hello. close. L- Lovedell. Love. So it's ah. Wait, it's L O B as in boy, D as in dog, E L L. You got it. Yep. Like lob a ball and then the computer Dell, lob Dell. Yeah. Okay. I've sometimes wanted to lob the Dell across the room, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, you are with Food and Water Watch, and we've had folks from Food and Water Watch on the program before, but you're based uh, out west in Boise, uh, Idaho. What? It's, it's just interesting to have somebody, and you and I met uh, uh, last month, um, at Northwestern University Law School, you were on a panel there with Karen Hudson and some other folks, um, and um, uh, we got a chance to uh, to meet. Uh, and I didn't even know at the time that you were going to be part of the event on uh, on Wednesday. Tell me uh, what's going on in Boise with Food and Water Watch. Well, uh, Food and Water Watch is headquartered in Washington D.C., um, but we do organizing and have offices throughout the country. I'm actually the only food and water watch employee currently in Idaho. Um, mm-hmm. So I work remotely from home. I would guess, uh, I would guess that's the case. I mean, I, I was thinking you probably don't have a huge staff in Boise. It's, it's true. It's true. Um, but so, uh, you know, food and water watches overall mission is to empower regular people to take back our democracy in the face of some of the most entrenched corporate interests and, the department that I work in focuses on factory farms. So holding factory farms accountable for their environmental degradation, their um, manipulation of markets, their um, undermining of sustainable independent farming, things like that. And Idaho actually is one of the fastest growing um, factory farm industries in the country. It's now Hmm. the sort of jockeys for the fourth and third. It's currently the third largest dairy producer in the nation. Um, and so the the animal agriculture scene here um, is is uh, I'll call it dire, and the impacts are being felt more and more by Idahoans. So, um, so it's a, a rising issue of importance for this region. What's caused the um, massive increase in Idaho? Well, um, it's a combination of a good climate for dairy and cattle operations, and also a very friendly regulatory environment. So we have mm-hmm. a state legislature 
um, that has um, advocated its responsibility to hold these facilities accountable, which encourages large scale operators to to come here and, and set up shop so that they can avoid uh, more stringent, appropriate regulations that they might run into in other states. And, and, you, and you're talking about the industry. That's a very important part. We have about a minute and a half here before we have to break, but we'll be back after that. Uh, maybe we can get started on this. Part of it is I, I look at the, the parallel, and people ask me about uh, uh, using Roundup, glyphosate, on, on their uh, lawns and in their yards. And, you know, they say, is it going to kill me? Uh, and um, I say that. No, probably not, because you're not in the industry and you don't use it every day, you know, and if you use it according to label directions, it's probably not going to have any impact on you at all. However, the impact it has is on the industry. It continues to support the industry and the industry is so large that it controls so much of our agriculture and horticulture that that's not healthy. And I imagine you're seeing some of the same thing in the meat production world and we're we're at our break so when we come back i'd like you to address that you and jessica and aaron um about the industry as a whole is it how much control does it have over what we buy in our grocery stores it's the mike novak show with peggy malecki we're talking to crate free illinois and we will be right back i'm dr anthony lazowitz And this is Climate Connections. Heat waves, floods, droughts. Across the country, communities are experiencing the effects of climate change. But no two places are identical. So a new online tool is helping towns in Indiana see how climate change will affect them. It provides local projections for precipitation and heat. And it includes maps that show which areas are at greatest risk of flooding, along with demographic information about those neighborhoods. Andrea Webster is with Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute, which developed the tool. She says mayors and other local officials are so excited that we're actually producing information that's available for their individual town. It's all based on publicly available data. But Webster says packaging the information in an easy-to-navigate way is valuable for time-strapped local officials. We also provide them with a list of very specific actions they can take to respond to the impacts that are specific to their community. Ranging from emergency planning to increasing local food purchasing and creating programs to help residents pay their electricity bills. Webster says the process helps policymakers identify ways to prepare their communities for a changing climate. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Who fed the chickens? I did. Who stacked the hay? I did. Who milked the cow? I did. On this fine day, once again, who fed the chickens? I did. And that's what you want to know. Who fed the chickens? That's great. That's great audio. And, and what did you feed them? Exactly. It's, it's all about that. It's, you know, when we talk about knowing your farmer, you know how your food was raised, whether it's food that's walking around on two or four legs or it is your broccoli. Uh, and, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, or, or your fish or your eggs or whatever. 
And that's why we have these folks on the show today. Jessica Chipkin, founder and president of Crate Free Illinois. Uh, Aaron Kwiatkowski, who is with Mercy for Animals. And Tyler Lob, uh, okay, Lod, Lobdell, Lobdell. You know, I can't get it. Uh, it's uh, Lobdell. Tyler. Uh, Tyler, yeah, so just Tyler. Um, you got to change the name, dude. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, who is with Food and Water Watch. During the break, we were, you know, we were talking about a lot of different things. Uh, what we want to get across at this, it, it's a huge issue. I talked about the industry and the control it has. And maybe, Jessica, let's start with you because you've been fighting the fight against uh, various the large players in the industry. Um, one of them is Aldi that you, you continue to have negotiations with. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, last year, we started a campaign asking Aldi to change its animal welfare policy to require its suppliers to eliminate gestation crates. And Aldi, uh, we did go into Aldi's office. We had a discussion. And after the discussion, Aldi changed its policy to say that they expect their suppliers to eliminate gestation crates. But the word expect falls far short of a requirement to do so. So that, that does continue, and we hope over time that Aldi will require um, its suppliers to eliminate the use of gestation crates during a binding um, time frame. But this kind of emphasizes the whole issue is that gestation crates are a cruel practice. I mean, think about if you kept a dog locked in a crate the size of its body, just about the size of its body, where it couldn't turn around for its entire life. I mean, that would be considered animal cruelty, but on these industrial farms, like the suppliers that they use, it's business as usual. So unknowing consumers who probably are animal lovers become complicit in this type of behavior, and they don't even know it. So we feel it's, it's on us to make it on the retailers to do something about that because, I mean, consumers, and once they understand it, they're not happy about it. And that's a really good point. Uh, I think a, a lot of folks don't want to know. They just put it on the back burner. It's I just go to the grocery store. It's like the kids for, for years. People have talked about kids who don't know where a tomato comes from. OK, it comes from the jewel. It comes from the Marianos. Uh, that's where a tomato comes from. And it's the same thing with our meat. And I know that there are films out there. One, The one we're going to see, Carnivore's Dilemma. Uh, and other films, and sometimes they're kind of graphic, but, uh, and I'll address this to uh, Aaron, uh, sometimes you have to do that to get the message across, don't you? Uh, Yes, I think, you know, there's a classic quote that most people have heard, which is, if slaughterhouses had glass walls, we would all be vegetarian. Um, I think that's mostly attributed to Paul McCartney, though I don't know if he really said that. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that Mercy for Animals started and continues to to actively do undercover investigations. Uh, We are, uh, I I know we were referring to some ag-gag laws earlier, but uh, we're really negatively affected by ag-gag laws because those um, prohibit photos and videos being taken inside of these facilities. And the reason that, you know, we're trying to, they're trying to legislate against uh, those types of actions is because they want to hide the activities that are happening in, the, in these facilities. So 
um, we, you know, we use undercover investigations as a core of our work because we want to show both the consumers, we want to show the, the companies that are using these animals in their supply chain, and we also want to show lawmakers that what's happening isn't ethical and that something needs to change. Well, how have ag-gag laws uh, impacted your work? Um, well, we are, uh, though we do these undercover investigations, we do all of them um, lawfully. So we don't break any laws um, by getting staff hired into these farms, by you know having them bring in recording equipment. All of that is legal unless the state has legislated against those types of activities. So it, it limits the number of states that we can perform these investigations in, and um, that makes it a little bit more difficult for us to do this, this great work that consumers are, are looking for us to do to okay. keep the, the industry honest. Yeah, uh, and that's a problem. Uh, and, and ag-gag laws, for people who are not familiar, are laws passed in states that say you can't take photos of these facilities in any way, shape, or form. And if you do, you will be prosecuted. So uh, it's important to know about that. So uh, that that's the humane side of it. But Tyler, you work with Food and Water Watch, and part of what you talk about is the extraction of resources. It's not just about treating animals humanely. It's about our planet and the cost to our natural environment. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and these things are related, the, the issue of ag-ag laws and criminalizing undercover investigations and journalism into how animals are treated and sort of the hiding and the 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 lack of meaningful environmental regulation of these facilities. It's another sort of um, hidden subsidy that factory farms throughout the country benefit from, um, you know, laws like the, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, um, you know, resource conservation laws. Uh, for the most part, factory farms get a free pass under those laws. Um, and that's, uh, you know, due to similar efforts by their lobbying organizations at the state and national level to pass legislation that favors them um, and hurts local communities and allows them to despoil the environment really without much account. And so, you know, in addition, I, I'll, I'll kind of address the, the larger systemic problem that you were getting at, Mike, before the break. Um, it's not only important for consumers to be shopping consciously and knowing where their products come from, it's also important for citizens to, to stand up and ask for systemic change. Um, you know, there are, there are reasons why we have factory farms and why they're proliferating. And it's not just a natural consequence of economics or what consumers desire. It is a very deliberate system that's been put in place over decades. Mm -hmm. and, and voters and citizens need to stand up and say enough is enough and demand more from their, their leaders and their legislators and their governors and all the way up to the, the president. So. And that gets us into, uh, and we just have a couple of minutes left here. Uh, Jessica, uh, during the break, you, we were talking here about how this can be very overwhelming and that it's important to take small steps. We're not going to change everybody to veganism. I'm not a vegan, okay, but I do watch where I get my meat from. And half, I would say probably half the week, I, there's no meat on my plate. Uh, and if more people did that, it would change the world. What kind of small steps can people take, Jessica, uh, in this regard? Sure. Well, I think it really, if, if, if you do eat meat, I think you need to, I, I think part of the, part of it is like paying attention to where you 
get your meat from. Um, a lot of people who know Craigfield, Illinois know that we have a mobile app that has hundreds and hundreds of local farmers that pasteurize their animals. So make a connection with a local farmer. Um, you don't have to have meat every single day. Um, like, like you said, Mike, I mean, um, I, um, there are local farmers that I know that, you know, feel the same way. Um, you don't, people don't have to eat meat every day. So it goes back to, um, if you remember that movie, Mike, from years ago at the fork, they introduced the three R's, uh, reduce meat consumption, reject factory farm, uh, um, replace factory farm meat with uh, meat from local farmers or reject meat altogether. So I kind of think of it that way. It's a big problem and there's room for everybody to take small steps or get involved and get involved in one of our organizations too. I mean, we all need help. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to remind people this Wednesday at uh, uh, Dovetail Brewery, 1800 West Belle Plaine Avenue in Chicago. It's uh, uh, a $30 donation per ticket, uh, $35 at the door. You get beer and... It's... And great, great local food, Chicago Diner, Beyond Meat, Demos Pizza. I dream of falafel. There are others, too. Um, and I also want to tell people, just go to our website to find out more, um, www.cratefreeil.org. Go there, and there will be a pop-up, and it will tell you what to do. And you can also go to uh, Crate Free Illinois on Facebook mm-hmm. and right. find the event. It's right up right. there. You can click right on it and get all the information. Hey, I'm looking forward to talking to all of you on Yeah, I can't Wednesday. wait, Mike. Thank you. This is going to be a really great event. Thank you. Jessica, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Tyler. I'm not doing any last names anymore <laughs> because I just get get into trouble. But thanks for being on the thanks, program. Bye. And we thanks, will Tyler. we'll see you on thanks, Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Yeah, thank thank you, Peggy. Thank you, Mike. Thank Bye. you so much. Have a great day. You too. Rick DeMaio coming up. Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. From small boat to your dinner table with a quick stop at your doorstep. The seafood at Sitka Salmon Shares comes from a collective of small boat fishermen who respect the ocean and its sea life. They're a community-supported fishery like your CSA. Instead of produce, they bring you responsibly harvested, wild-caught Alaskan seafood. The fish is in season and reflects the limits of nature. You even know who caught the fish. It's right on the box. Sign up today. I did. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. One, two, three. Uh-huh. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. And yes, indeed, it's good to be alive on a Sunday that uh, is going to have sunshine and warm temperatures. And uh, I think there are a lot of people who would order that every single day. Let's bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Uh, people like you on a day like this, don't they, Rick? Yeah, I think so. Um, what's been interesting is that we've been having a lot of these nice days uh, on the weekends. I think it was last year we had a lot of really lousy weather on the weekends, so uh, we've turned it around nicely. Yeah, I noticed that. I was I was thinking about that yesterday. I looked at the forecast and I went, "Wow, it's every Sunday now we're hitting these the the warm the warmer days. It's and sunshine." So thanks, uh, Rick. Yeah, really. Give him a ding. <laughs> There you go. Didn't you say something last week about if it gets over 60 degrees going out and hitting a bucket of balls today? Uh, I I have the clubs in the car, okay? This may happen today. Oh, wow. Yeah, I You're do. quick. Well, you know what? I saw, I, I saw 60 uh, in the forecast. Are we going to hit 60, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, part of the reason is that the cloud cover that's over right now is going to thin out quite a bit. And if you look at it, um, out to the west, you could already see the sky brightening a little bit. Yeah. So we'll go from like a lot of high thin clouds now, which is everything this time of the year. Uh, I think last Sunday when we hit 60, not only was it uh, fairly windy, so able to mix down a lot of that warmer air down to the surface, but it was also very, very sunny. So three things give you warm weather this time of the year. Um, full sunshine, strong southerly winds, and no snow on the ground. It's amazing <laughs> how quickly we eradicated uh, all the snowpack across the Midwest from the last two weeks. And warming up, it's also good to the spring If you would have asked me about two months ago if we would be heading into the possibility of a repeat of spring 2019, I would have said yes because of all the rain and snow that we had. But the month of March actually, a month of February actually turned out to be below normal precipitation wise basically everywhere in the midwest uh all right wherever you are right now stay there don't move because uh the cell is a little funky right now so we'll just uh make sure we keep you there you go yeah that's good that's real good yeah he's holding his arm up yeah okay (laughs) you got you (laughs) the tinfoil hat is on that's the one that was holding the phone was tying my shoes. So. Yeah, okay, uh, but you're right. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see those temperatures. I was uh, I noticed because uh, as you know, I just had a bunch of insulation done in my house, and I'm going to have Ron Cal- mm-hmm. Ron Cowgill is going to come on the show and talk about it. But I I got my bill, my gas bill, and I looked at the temperatures, uh, the ambient outdoor temperature for January and February, and it was both mm-hmm. 31 degrees. So. It gave me a. Yeah, it, I know. It, isn't that weird? And wow. it gave me a chance to compare the months, though. That was the perfect part. Right. So and you know what the weird the weird part is, Mike, is November and December were exactly the same as well. It was the weirdest. It was the weirdest four months of weather. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about this with a number of my classes. It seems like the weather has been basically the same since about the third week of October, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it it sure feels like that. Yeah. So and, yeah, and, there, there hasn't been. Go on, go on. I was just going to say, you sent us uh, those all those charts and graphs yesterday, and I was looking at them, and I was really fascinated because the prognostication for the winter was that it was going to be slightly colder and and wetter, and it got drier, slightly drier, and a lot warmer. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's, I I still think these winter outlooks now. 
um, are really not mu- worth much because you're trying to really take, you know, three months of weather and kind of capsulate it into one map, and that's really tough. Uh, we did have some cold spells across the upper Midwest. There was a lot of snow in parts of Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. The UP got absolutely pounded. So if anybody's going to have flooding concerns, it's probably going to be up there as they help in, as they head into a rapid melt-off and warm-up uh, this weekend. But precipitation-wise, we actually ended up slightly above normal. Uh, mm-hmm. Temperature-wise, we ended up four degrees above normal. We were the sixth warmest um, winter from a standpoint of temperatures for December, January, and February uh, since 1880. Mm-hmm. And the United States, the lower 48 on average, was the sixth warmest as well. And again, Peg and Mike, what's really alarming about this, it happened without an El Nino. So what that's beginning to tell us more and more is that these abnormal climate events like an El Nino or a La Nina are really not playing that significant of a role in our overall long-term anomalies. We're having much more anomalous weather without some of these climactic events, which then tells you when you do have those highly climactic anomalous events like an El Nino or a La Nina, the average weather that is typically above normal will be even more above normal. So that's what happens in a, in a changing climate is your, your peaks and your valleys become more peaky and more valley. All right. Now, I'm going to tell you that we had a listener uh, write to me last week and said, we need to make sure you get the forecast in because, as he pointed out, gardeners are listening to this, and we're in a month where the forecast is everything when it comes to getting your stuff in the ground. So I'm going to make sure you get time for that. So <laughs> so, so, give me like one minute about what happened in uh, Tennessee this week with the tornadoes, and then we'll get to a forecast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first off, um, that was what we call a low CAPE environment. The word CAPE means convective available potential energy. On a scale of 1 to 30, with 30 being really high, that was like a 5. That was really, really low. The dew points were very low. Uh, relatively speaking, the temperatures were low. It was in the middle of the night. What really got that going, Mike and Peg, and I did a fairly you know, robust analysis on it, was the upper-level wind, the subtropical jet, which has been strong all year long, literally was producing 150 to 170-mile-an-hour wind at the top of that thunderstorm. And that was one supercell that was on the ground for almost 150 miles, and it laid down four tornadoes, the second one outside of Nashville and the fourth one in Cookville. And, again, late at night, uh, people in that area don't have... Um, storm shelters and people sleep on the second floor of their homes. You don't have a chance to wake them up. You're going to have fatalities. Wow. All right. Give us that forecast. We'll make sure we get it in today. All right. So, yeah. So low 60s today, mid 50s tomorrow, about a half inch to a quarter inch of rain. It dries out nicely during the day on Tuesday. So if you want to get any garden in, it looks like Tuesday and Wednesday is going to be the day to do it because it looks like we get back into rain probably Wednesday night and into Thursday, but temperatures tomorrow, mid-50s, upper 40s Tuesday, upper 40s Wednesday, and staying generally near seasonal conditions for Thursday and Friday. But overall, readings about 2 to 4 degrees above normal and rainfall about a half inch to a quarter inch over the next five days. And things staying pretty much the same for the next couple of weeks? Oh, boy, we could talk about that next week. I don't want to go too far out of the month of, in the month of March. Okay. I learned my lesson. All right. Thanks, Rick. We'll talk to you next Thanks, week. Thanks, Rick.
I want to thank uh, Nicole Virgil for being on the show, Elliot Clay, Aaron Kwiatkowski, Tyler Lobdell, Jessica Chipkin, Kayla, Hannah, Andrew. Until next time, go green or go home. Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 